I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche It's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am not your host, PTF uh, He's running around Maine with a beard I'm sure he's got some lumberjack shirt on He's probably axing wood I think you could call it axing wood or chopping wood with an axe Whatever, it's axing wood on this podcast uh, He's axing wood, he's making pancakes and homemade syrup I'm sure up there and and you know telling stories and trying to light fires and I, I, I'm sure it's just an absolute adventure up there and now he's driving back to the city which he's not a good driver um, so that's probably dangerous uh, for all people on the road so hopefully he gets back safe and, and, and uh, but uh, who knows with that guy you just never really know but apparently he's going to Keeneland this weekend but I'm excited to talk a little bit about Keeneland uh, first of all our guest is very involved with Keeneland but uh, also, I wanted to let everyone know that the spring meet is getting started on Friday, April 2nd. Um, 18 stakes, $4.1 million in, in, uh, in, in purses. Um, it's April 2nd to the 23rd. This weekend is the Toyota Bluegrass, $800,000 Toyota Bluegrass, the $400,000 Central Bank Ashland uh, grade one. Very excited about that. We've been talking about it across these airwaves for some time now. Uh, our friends, Black Type Thoroughbreds, Jake Ballas, James Brown, Randy Hill, George Weaver uh, got their filly past the champagne entered. She is in the two hole and we're excited. I'm excited. I'm just an just a innocent bystander, but I'm fired up. Um, look, I'm excited about Keeneland. I, I've talked about it on other podcasts. I'm going to play a lot of the pick six, uh, the dollar pick six. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in getting, getting down with that throughout uh, the entire meet. I, I feel cheated last year. We didn't get Keeneland in the spring. We got it in the summer. Thank goodness. But now we'll have our, a whole spring. Also, um, heads up, uh, the grade one gamble, one of my favorite contests ever, Jim Goodman. That is April 10th. It is the following Saturday, usually on a Sunday, following Saturday. So holler at Jim. He'll get you set up. I think there's online options as well. So you'll be able to play um, some from an online capacity as well. So um, anyways, fired up about Keeneland. Part of the theme of, of this week's show is is uh, our guest, Gatewood Bell, in his new role um, as, I'm going to mess up his title, but whatever, VP of Racing, I think. If that's not true, then... You know, whatever. Sue me. Um, I'm pretty sure that is though. Gatewood, I've 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 known for some time. Seen him running around. You know, in racing, it's funny when you're horse racing young, not young as in like you know 21 and, and can eat whatever you want and stay up all night young. But horse racing young. When you see other people in racing that look horse racing young as well, you kind of gravitate towards one another. Um, and so I've I've had some conversations with Gatewood. And obviously, familiar with some of his. Uh, exploits uh, as a bloodstock agent as an owner some involved with some really cool horses undrafted hoot nanny mastery who i have to apologize to him about during the podcast um ask it winner conte partiro uh, no nay never the list goes on um excited to catch up with gatewood about just kind of his background what got him to this game uh, it's obviously a family business and and uh and, and so his journey and then how he ended up in this role. Uh, he was successful in his previous role. So I want to know 
what was uh, up with the transition and and he uh, explains that and it's a, uh, it's good news it's one of those deals where I, I feel feel like racing is in a better position having someone like Gatewood in a position to uh, make some decisions and to to uh, do some innovation and do some creative things so um, I'll stop yapping because you don't want to hear me yap and I will introduce our guest uh, my buddy and uh, a uh, very fun conversation with Gatewood Bell. Man, all's good. All's good. Just enjoying the sunshine, gearing up for Friday, Saturday. I'd imagine it's a little bit of a different vibe than you're used to for Keeneland opening. I'm sure you were uh, in the past, you've been uh, excited, nervous, wondering how some fast two-year-old's going to run with Wesley, but now you're uh, having to worry about bigger and better things with your new role at Keeneland. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, it's just as much excitement just, uh, coming from a few different angles and, um, yeah, a little more to get in line than just overseeing a few runners. But, um, now I'm just excited about watching everybody come in and getting it kicked off, man. It'd be fun. How or how or has, or whatever, has your role changed on the ownership side when it comes to i mean are you still going to be running horses at keeneland or is that a problem now or is it not a problem what how's all that going to work yeah well i mean i've got my little partnership that i kind of just um oversee so we've had to kind of transfer you know a little bit of a transfer of power there um i've obviously still got some horses that i bought for people um last year that Hopefully I'll be running and I'll be cheering for cheering for those, but probably a little more internally than uh, externally. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, 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 it'll be different, but um, we'll just kind of feel our way through it and figure out how, uh, you know, figure it all out and um, just basically make sure we continue to do everything just with the utmost integrity and, disclosure and stuff like that but yeah i mean i'd be lying I, there's there's there'll be horses that i'll be cheering for but um really just cheering for a good meet and i'm wearing wearing a keeneland hat now instead of a selfish individual hat hey that's all right what 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 made you decide to put on the keeneland hat because obviously uh for people that aren't familiar you've you've been very successful as a bloodstock agent with cromwell um and then you got your partnership with hat creek uh, you've won big races here in the States. You've won big state uh, races at, at, at Ascot and overseas. And w- what was it about this opportunity that made you say, you know what, let me, let me take off that hat for a second and put on this other one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it wasn't something I was honestly thinking about to uh, be perfectly candid until Shannon brought it up to me. And, you know, so she, she would be the, she would be the, the main, the main reason. And then it's just, man, you're in the, you're in the racing game too. Like Keeneland to me is just, I mean, it's the Augusta national of horse racing or, you know, it's just the, such a revered institution, the tradition, just the, it just aligns with my personal, you know, whether it's moral belief or whatever it is, just like whatever I think is what I think is great about the game, horse racing, even the sales, breeding, everything is embodied by Keeneland. Um, and, you know, with with Shannon um, coming in at the helm, I'm just like, I was, I texted her when she, you know, was appointed the position and I was like, man, I'm just, 
I'm really excited for you, but I'm selfishly more excited for like the horse business in general. Cause I think she's, she's just got all the tools and the personality to just to continue on what makes Keeneland awesome. And so I was just really excited for everybody that she was taking over. And then when she approached me about maybe coming over there and, um, working, I was a little taken back cause I hadn't really thought of it to be honest. And I was like, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, what my dream or 30 years ago, what my dream job in the horse business would be, it'd be like, I don't know, I think director of racing, not even knowing what it entailed, which I obviously, I, I honestly didn't know what it entailed six weeks ago either, but, uh, you know, that had been a, an absolute dream job. And, uh, you know, and it's just a little sense of responsibility. I feel like you're not that you're giving back, but you're kind of, you know, helping horse business or able to, you're in a position that's, you know, able to help the horse business as a whole and central Kentucky as a whole. And so there's just a lot of exciting opportunities, but yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't make the decision overnight, but, um, you know, I just thought I'd regret not joining up over there more than not doing it. So what exactly is the role? Like describe it to us. Um, you know, are you, are you, are you involved with, with making sure we're, we're, we're filling the entry box? Are you, is it just all things? Are you involved with, uh, wagering decisions? What, what, what is, what is your role entail? Yeah. I mean, all of those things, I, I honestly didn't know what it entailed, you know, six or eight weeks ago. Um, but yeah, all of those things are technically under the racing umbrella. Um, and I'm just taking time to see how it all works right now and then offer a little bit of advice here or there. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty well-oiled machine and it's, I'm just going to come in with a little fresh perspective and learn from everybody that's already in there and doing an awesome job and, and see where we can improve and listen to our customers and see, you know, get feedback and, um, just make sure everybody's on the same page. But yeah, it entails everything from working with Ben Huffman and Tiffany in the racing office and, you know, from coming up with the condition book, which is nice about Keeneland, the orange condition book. It doesn't change too often year in and year out, which is something that the horsemen like, a little familiar familiarity to, you know, setting the stake schedule, tweaking that, purse structures, um, things like that. Yeah, today I was hanging out with Ben in the racing office when we, we're getting entries for the first card that we drew. So, you know, just kind of, I mean, but like it was all going to happen whether I'm sitting there or not. So it's not like, it's not like the show wouldn't go on if, if I, if I wasn't there, but so that, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, hanging out with Jim Pendergast, who's our director of racing services and his crew there at, at Keeneland, Alfredo and Tim that get the, get the dirt course in tip top shape and have the turf looking awesome. And, you know, going over that kind of stuff with them and going over the stuff with the starter, Scott Jordan, who's in charge of the gate crew and all that. And Wayne Mogi who's in charge of our stable yard, you know, assigning, we assign stalls when the stall applications come in, you know, um, we also oversee the thoroughbred center on Paris Pike and, you know, their stabling racing surfaces. Um, then yeah, Jim Goodman, who's our director of wagering, who, you know, um, you know, so we'll bounce, obviously it's not like I come in on day one and be like, Hey Jim, we need to reduce takeout and we need to add this bet and this, but, but saying that we've, we've talked over a couple, maybe new bet ideas and, you know, we'll 
monitor, take out things, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, race sequence and, you know, new bets he's doing. So that kind of falls under the umbrella as well. And, um, and then I work a lot with Dr. Brown, Stuart Brown and George Mundy, who's in charge of our safety. Um, he's like our safety officer or whatever you, whatever the title is, but, you know, really trying to put an emphasis on having, um, a good knowledge of our inventory and just having every safety measure in place that we can um, to, to ensure that our horsemen are racing at the, you know, in the highest quality races, but also on the safest uh, and under the safest circumstances. You know, actually you mentioned the turf course and, and, and I was actually curious about this. I wasn't thinking to ask you this, but did the turf course get beat up a little bit last summer with like the heat or, or I mean, cause I know you guys obviously ran at a different time and then having it, you know, coming right back with the fall with the breeders cup, um, turf course, great shape, no problem, no harm, no foul, ready to rock. Man, it looks as good. And I've obviously haven't been walking it for the last 30 years, but Ben has, and Jim, a bunch of them have, man, it looks awesome. And, uh, we've got a, we've got a guy last year that came down from Michigan. That's kind of like a turf specialist that, um, so we've it's, but yeah, I think you're right about the summer last year. I mean, I noticed it just from a handicapping and fan standpoint as well, but you know, like the, the seasons in Kentucky are intense. So like, you know, you go play a golf course in April and you play that same golf course in October and it plays a lot differently, you know, it plays, um, and you know, it's a game outdoors, and so it's obviously going to play a little differently in April and October and it's a sand base. So it drains really well. Um, but so what they've told me is they've, they've got this like pre germinated seed that they've been putting back down in the fall that seems to have really densed the densened the root structures and stuff. So like right now when we're out there walking it, we walked it three days ago, we had turf works on it for the first time on Saturday and it held up really well. Uh, we were all, all really pleased and, um, yeah, I think it, it looks it looks awesome, man. Just a couple of days of sunshine, two week, uh, ten days ago, and it it just boom, greened up and thickened up, and I, I think we'll be in good shape for the meet. We've added a couple of turf races too, so hopefully it is. Oh man, I'm fired up! I can't wait. I'm I'm, I'm so excited to get there. I didn't obviously I didn't get to come in July, and 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 I've been coming, you know, as as long as you know since I guess 2015 when I really started traveling and running around. I you know Keeneland was a was a stop I could miss, you know, Jim's contest, the grade one gamble is like my favorite, one of my favorite, if not my favorite contest of the entire year. And so, yeah, you coming down I, for that this year? I, I'm actually going to come, I'm coming this weekend because I wanted to come for opening weekend, but I'm going to play from come cheer for I'll JD's Philly. Yeah. I play for, I'm going to come, I'm going to come cheer for, for Jake Ballas's pass of champagne, but then I'll, I'll play online. I'm going to play in the grade one gamble, but I'll just play uh, online. So, um i'm excited yeah it's like it's my favorite i missed it last year i'm so i'm, I'm fired up to get back um I need to ask him i wonder if i'm allowed to play in those <laughs> maybe you never know um I, so i want to talk a little bit about just kind of your your history in racing but before we get to the you know the undrafteds and the hoot nannies and the masteries and the no nay nevers um i i got a funny story from a family member that i had to ask you about but yeah, it's probably, it's, it's probably true. <laughs> he, I have heard that when you were younger, you uh, loved Chaluki and city zip and you made big bets on them. And you made such big bets that at one point your mother was concerned you were dealing drugs in like fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. Very true. 
Very true. I kept my cash in a in a in a sock or two in my underwear drawer. And uh, yeah, one day I came home from school and my mom was sitting on sitting on the side of my bed, just like with her hands on her on her face and like was like crying. And she was like, where did I go wrong? What did I, I love you. What did we do wrong? And she found my, well, it was a pretty good amount of cash for, for however old I was. And she found my cash. I was like, I was, I was like, no mom, don't worry. I just crushed the, uh, city zip Yanaguska straight exacta in the, uh, tree mop. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah. Oh, that's uh, outstanding. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, you know, racing runs in your family. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, your 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 dad, Jimmy Bell, your grandfather, John Bell. Did were you were you pretty involved pretty quickly with betting, or did it come as you got a little bit older? Man, I was uh, like, I don't want to indict anyone that that I now work with, but um, yeah, I probably made quite a few underage gambles at uh, at at Keeneland for for about. 10 or 10 or 12 years. Um, but no, I was always, I was always into the action. I love the race. I love the farm and stuff, but I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, I mean, not just the gambling cause you're making money. It was more because like you thought you knew something that other people didn't and handicapped and like you could prove that you were right by winning money. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember my first, I think I said it in something the other day, like first time I ever had $10 on one horse, it was Manila man. He ran at Keeneland and won just cause he was raised at John Abel. But, uh, and like, it was, I mean, I still remember it. Like that was the first time I ever made you know, normally it was like $2. And then I kind of graduated to $2 across the board. But like, I mean, I like saved up and I had like, I had a hunch and had my first $10 bet. And then it quickly went to a, probably a $20 bet and then a hundred dollar bet and then hitting pick fours and stuff. Did, did you spend a lot of your childhood? Do you I mean, do you, it's like that your fondest memories are like being at John Abel farm and, and running around there. I mean, were you, were you, were they letting you loose out there and, and you were moving around? Oh, or? Oh, yeah. It was a, yeah. You were just a free for all. Just, yeah. Just go. I had my, one of my cousins lived on the farm, Jamie. And uh, yeah, you just go ride bikes and run through fields. And then eventually started working there when I was probably, I don't know, my, it's probably 13 or four, 13 or so. Cause my dad used to have to take us to, to work every morning, grubbing thistles. And then you work on the maintenance crew and then you graduate to like where you were able to go, uh, you know, prep the yearlings for like an hour. You know, you got to go over and touch the horses for an hour, but it was just to walk the yearlings for their yearling prep exercise. And pretty sure it was like the second day on the, on that gig, I let one go <laughs> and ran around. <laughs> so I was back in the, back in the thistle field for a week. I was in the penalty box and then came back and just kind of, but I never, so I always worked on like the maintenance side of it. Um, growing up. And then I went and worked a few other places. I kind of got off the farm. I went, worked for an uncle for a while, worked on the track and then, um, yeah, then went to school. How, how old were you when you went and, and worked for Kieran? Well, Kieran, I worked for my uncle Johnny first, like when I was in middle school, high school here. He was a trainer at the Thoroughbred Center. And then when I worked for, when I went to work for Kieran, I, I had just graduated college, right? Graduated college, um, did, did a month uh, running Inky's Little Scrambler on the Santa Monica Pier with my finance degree um, out, in, out in LA. Then I moved to Australia for, for a little while and was going to work there for a little while. And then my mom got sick. So I flew back home 
And when I came back home, that's when I went to go work for uh, Kieran up in New York. So were you were you at Saratoga with with uh, for the summer? Yeah, I was wherever he was. So I got to, I mean, it was like going to the greatest grad school ever. Um, so I was in Saratoga for the meet. I usually go up like two or three weeks before the meet started. And then I was there for the meet. And then I'd go back down to Belmont for the fall meet there. Um, if we had anything ship into Keeneland, he was more like hitting Keeneland on the spring meet on the way back up. Then we go to go to Palmetto's for the winter up to Keeneland for April. And then after I usually got to do the got to, we had closing argument one year that I was there and, um, jazzle. And so I got to go do the week in, in Keen in, uh, Churchill. And then I usually would go up to, to, um, Pimlico for the, if we had anything running, you know, when Invasor won the Pimlico special and we had, um, running, running horses in the Preakness weekend, stuff like that. So I'd go there and then I'd go to Belmont for the summer. I had Kieran on, he told a funny story about the Pimlico special. I think, um, I think he told, uh, I think he told Aaron and his wife, not to bet. Cause yeah, just- <laughs> we, uh, to be, I mean, to be fair, like I, I think Rick Nichols was the one that called the audible. He was supposed to run in that little, that there was an undercard race that day. I can't remember who, what it was. And it, like the Pimlico special was only coming up like a five horse field. It was like wandering boy. If I like, this is, this is digging deep, but anyway, so they, they changed at the last minute to run them in the Pimlico special. And it was, uh, yeah, it was the year that Bernardini won the Preakness. I had a big, I had a big Pimlico special Preakness, uh, double that paid for a few meals. Oh, I can imagine you had yeah. the inside, you had the inside track on that one. Do do you still, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that when, when you see the blue silks of Godolphin, it, it, it they still, uh, probably give you a lot of memories and it's, it's, it, it probably hard not to root for them, huh? With your dad's involvement with them as long as he was. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, the opportunities I've been given just from that relationship. I mean, of course, and just anyone that's for the good of good of the game knows how, how, how much um, the mock tombs have put into the sport um, and not just from a financial standpoint, just from, you know, setting up the Darley flying or the Godolphin flying start to, I mean, a lots, lots and lots of things behind the scenes that nobody ever hears or reads about. But uh, yeah, with dad's association, I know he takes a, he takes a whole lot of pride in it. So, uh, you know, and they do everything the right way. So it's, it's fun, fun cheering for them. They're on a hell of a roll right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They got, they got it done. Uh, I'm sure they were really, ha- I, I was the, I was the idiot that questioned why Maxfield went to ca- to California and why Mystic Guide went to, uh, to Dubai. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I, think I we was, just- yeah, I was pumped for Mike and Hillary. They're awesome people. They, uh, they deserve a big win like that. So that was, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, obviously those silks go hand in hand with Kieran, but it, it is kind of neat now to see, other people have opportunities with those horses, right? I mean, for the longest oh, time, awesome. yeah, yeah you know, bred them out to some, yeah. And they were giving them to, you know, Brad and snapper and Mike, and then staying with Tommy and Kieran and Owen and, you know, or Bill Mott, not that he was already in the hall of fame, but those other three, you know, they were not that they were under the radar, but it wasn't, it wasn't like they were number one, in the trainer standings everywhere. So they've done a great job spreading them out and just shows, shows how, like how good a horseman there are out there that, you know, you give them, you give them a little opportunity and, and they can, 
they can really shine with it. And so I'm thrilled for all of them. They've had, they've had a lot of great success here the last few years. Yeah. Brendan, Brendan, especially with getting Maxfield and, and him turning out to be a good one. And then, you know, and then, you know, getting the win the other day in the, in the sprint uh, over there, obviously uh, good for oh, him. And huge. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a big day for the Americans. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's another story about the Kieran thing. So how, how in the heck God, did he you could tell you, he could tell you so many stories. He's just so <laughs> he is, he is way too nice. <laughs> how did you end up and where were you when you're, when you had to sleep in the car for a little bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just didn't have any, I didn't have any money. Like he found out about it and then he gets me an apartment. So like, I mean, I, I basically didn't want that to happen because he's the greatest guy on the planet. Like, um, but yeah, it was just expensive up there, man. And like, you know, you can only, you can only order so many things off the Wendy's dollar menu. And I really just never, never wanted to, I never been one to ask for anything. And, uh, but it's like a luxurious position because it was one of those things where like, I can rough it up here. I don't really get, I'm only in inconveniencing myself. And like, I know that at any stage, if I ever just asked my dad or my mom, like my mom never knew, uh, you know, they would, they would give you the shirt off their back. They'd give you whatever. So it's kind of nice just to be able to like, Hey, I'm going to make this work. And like, I don't know, nobody has to listen to me bitch about it for, it's not going to be forever. And, uh, I had a nice car to be fair. Like I was staying in a nice car, but it was just, <laughs> it was more like, would I rather have the $1,500 this month to <laughs> probably to bet with, or go buy some beers with, or have fun with, or to stay in a dingy, musty basement apartment? Like I'll rather just stay here. Just I made, I made friends. I made friends with the uh, concierge there at the garden city hotel. So I'd come in there and pretend like I was going to the gym in the basement and he would look the other way and I'd go down and, take a sauna and a shower and, <laughs> and you know every other day and i'd bring him some chinese food every other night and he'd be like thanks man i had a, i had a system i had a system how long did you work with it Kieran? was pretty good yeah i'm surprised he didn't tell you that we wanted that he always wanted to name a horse change in jamaica because i did i missed work twice and it was i would go into the i worked for him for uh three years about three, three and a half years. Yeah. And uh, so I'd go into the city every once in a while. Cause I had a couple of buddies right out of college that lived in the city. And my cousin lived in the city and I'd go in there and stay some, some nights I'd spend the night with them and then, you know, either drive back into town. But if I was going in to like have a night out, you have to take the train and, and on, on two occasions, at least two occasions that when you're coming back, back towards long Island from Manhattan at, you know, two in the morning, you had to change trains in Jamaica to get the one to Floral Park or to Garden City. And uh, man, one morning, I remember <laughs> I was awoken by a by a custodian on the train. And I was like, I mean, I, I wasn't in Montauk, but I might as well have been in Montauk. I mean, I was like, <laughs> like they woke me up because the train was at the end of the tracks. And they're like, hey, you're going to have to get off here, you bum. So then I had to, you know, wake up and go get on another train. I call him. I'm like, I'm going to be a little late boss. I'm sorry. And I just, I figured the best just to tell the truth, be an easier story to remember. So yeah, absolutely. Forgot to change in Jamaica. So did you go from working with Kieran to becoming an agent, Fernando Haro for Fernando or was that? Yeah. Yeah. So he was an agent for, he was an agent for Chris Antley. He worked for Wayne 
And then he was an agent for Chris Antley when um, they asked him to move to Dubai and train for um, the Maktoums. And so he was always saying like, man, this is just a great, like we were talking about it if the right kind of opportunity presented itself and that it's just a great way to get, I mean, I knew everybody on the backside just from being like Kieran's, you know, glorified hot walker PA that I would just hang out with them and like listen to the stories and shoot it. And if something needed to get done, we could get it done. But, um, so I knew, you know, I knew the Bobby Frankels and the Todd Pletchers and the Clements and the Shugs from sitting up in the, just basically like hanging, like, like a hanging out. It's like, I was his shadow. Um, but he's always like, but you know, if you, if you could be a jocks agent, you'll get to know everybody like on a business level. And then you'll, you'll learn how the condition books, you know, you'll really get to know how, how the racing office runs and how the condition book is. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll use your judge of form even more than you think. And I just think it'd be a great opportunity. And if nothing else, you know, it'll just, it'll, it'll give you, if you treat people the right way, they'll at least know in your business dealings that you act the way you act. And, um, you know, and you'll get everybody's phone number and it'll be good for the future and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, that was, he was kind of the, he was the impetus behind me, me doing it. And Fernando was obviously riding a lot for, for Kieran. Um, he was giving him a bunch of opportunities. And, um, so I was, I was helping Randy Romero, a guy called Chocolate had him when he first came from Panama. And then Randy Romero took over his book from Chocolate. And, um, then he he brought in a, a young bug rider from Louisiana. So I was helping, you know, he was, um, I was helping Randy out booking with both of those, um, with the little Bork, David Bork and, um, and Fernando. And, um, yeah, so I was helping him out do that. And then we got up to, I can't remember Saratoga or maybe it was when we came back to Belmont for the fall. Um, I just took, I took, uh, Fernando's book and, um, and Randy moved back. How how long did you have, how long did you do that for? How long did you have his book? Like right out a year. Then he, um, um, we went down to, we were there in New York for the summer and went to Florida for the winter. Then he rode in Dubai and then we came up to, um, through Kentucky and back to Belmont and, we didn't really have any luck in Belmont in the summer. And, um, and then, so for Saratoga, he, he, um, flew out there. He went out to California and I can't remember who he hired, hired somebody else out in California. You know Did what? You- I think he actually fired me before that. I think he <laughs> fired me before that and hired somebody, uh, in for that, the end of Belmont or maybe even for Saratoga. I can't remember, but I got, you- I got fired and then he, uh, and then he <laughs> went to California. Did you enjoy that gig? Man, yeah, I did. I mean, and yeah, I did. Like, I took some positives away from it. It wasn't like, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, but it was, it was, it was good. Like, I, I definitely got to meet a, it was good for me. I got to meet a ton of people and um, it was fun. And he was a great kid. He, we had a, you know, we had a, we had some success together and, you know, we were both young and both probably learned something and, so yeah, it was a good experience. It wasn't like it was like, oh man, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm rolling in the dough and stuff. But I would, twenty uh, six year old me would definitely do it again. 
Yeah, I mean, that seems like if you get under a rider who's got some business already when you're 26, I'd imagine it's a pretty good gig when you're when you're that age. You know, I mean, it's it's you know, you no, can move it was around. it was fun. Yeah. Um. So was that the step before? What, what was the step? What happened when? What happened in between that and Cromwell? Like, when did you start? Yeah. So like. I mean, I was working for Kieran. I always loved the the racetrack. I wanted to be a trainer, basically. I would have been a trainer, but I honestly just, I mean, at least I admitted to myself early and I told him, like he knew, like that I just didn't want to move every three months. And, you know, I wanted to have a family and be based in Lexington probably. And so he, that's why it was so great. It wasn't like he was sitting there priming me to become like an assistant to then go out on my own or something like that. So I just learned freaking everything from him. It was, it was awesome. And then I, I came back, I was kind of chasing my, my now wife and the mother of our, our three lovely children. And, you know, I, we'd been kind of, I'd been chasing her and, you know, then I'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to go to Belmont and live in a, you know, whatever. And so finally I was like, all right, enough's enough. I got to move back to Lexington. And so I went and worked for my cousin Keedley. You know price. Yep. You know price. Yep. Price is yeah. price is who gave me the gave me the inside info on the drug dealing story. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was with me. He was with me the day that we went out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I went and worked for his dad. He was in Nashville still, and um, I went and worked for for Heedley at Nakoma at Millridge because um, he was just like doing his like I was like his bloodstock assistant. So we'd go to the sales and do that, and then he kind of started um, <clears throat> taking over running of the farm and kind of left me with the, with the little bloodstock side of it. Um, for, so I was there, I, I did that for, I'd say three years. And then right when it all lined up and I had, uh, no money, my wife was pregnant and we just bought a house. I was like, you know what, this is the time to go out on your own. <laughs> you, you're either going to really sink or swim. So I I like having the, pressure and when you're like you know when you got to make stuff happen you tend to make it happen more often than when you don't really have to make it happen oh yeah i'll write write a hell of a paper when it's due tomorrow but if you give me three weeks no i'm the same no shot no shot i'll just sit there and look at it um yeah so went out on my own there about 10 10 or 11 years ago so we'll talk about some of your successes because i think there's some pretty cool stories actually some of them I, i forgot about or didn't even remember um did you feel like your time with Kieran or was it more just your whole life growing up around horses? What, what, or is it, which one do you kind of attribute more to the success you had as a block, as a bloodstock agent? Um, definitely. I mean, probably the time with the, the time with Kieran, I mean, but also just growing up in it, man, I just have like a, it's just like, all I thought about for so long that you just kind of, you know, just absorb everything. I always tried to be, you know, more of a, more of a listener than a talker and just would observe people like, but it was great at the, at the racetrack. Cause you could observe the people that you thought did a good job. And, and uh, you know, you, then being with Kieran also, I mean, we had so many good horses. You could sit there and, and pick them apart by what, what, what they all looked like and mentally what they were all like and what all the good ones had in common and the bad ones had in common and what, you know, things like that. And you just sit there and observe over time. Um, and 
and and then you just have to have like i got lucky when i went out on my own that i had you know like well i got to become friends with wesley and you know just and mr dobson everett and like just having somebody have a little faith in you to make a make a call yourself and you don't have to worry about you know whether the rest of the world thinks it's the right thing or the wrong thing and you just kind of it's the best way to it's the best way to learn put your own money up or have somebody put a little faith in you and just say go do it and um we just also and we just got lucky so when you get lucky it you know you get a little bit more notice and you get a few more opportunities and then you just it kind of just got lucky really so I want to talk a little bit about some of your, some of your big ones. Um, and if, if I somehow skip one of the really big ones, feel free to add that one on at the end. But no, um, no, no, I think right. one of the ones I thought was my was, name's just on them all. That's a, that's... <laughs> I think one of the really interesting ones and, and, and one of the ones people may or may not know you were associated with, but that was undrafted. And I think it was, you know, not only cause he was such a cool horse and what he did on the racetrack, but also, you know, I think that, as racing, we, we, we always want to, to spread our wings and expand our reach because we all know how great it is and we want other people to know how great it is and for them to tell people how great it is so that we have more people coming and, and obviously getting Wes Welker involved uh, just because of his name and, and, you know, and, and his reach because of how good he was and, and playing in the NFL. How, how did the whole undrafted thing uh, come together? Yeah, that was, that was a fun one. Um, it was really just like I'd gotten to know Wes and he'd had a, he owned um, like the first horse I ever bought kind of on my own. Like that was Nina fever who ended up being the dam of nickname. Um, but, and so we had, we, I bought her for like 27 grand, 32 grand actually. And, and he wanted to own a couple horses. So I put him in Wesley took a piece. True Fleming took a piece my brother-in-law took a piece and I took a piece and we had some good success with her. And then the next year we bought, I bought another one. Uh, we bought gypsy Robin, you know, and that was the one that really did it. I mean, cause she was, she was a suit, like won a couple of grade twos at Keeneland was second in the test. And, and so now, you know, he's just signed a deal. He's like playing for the Patriots and he's making some good money, but like, I mean, he's not making, you know, whatever like he's not making hundreds of millions of dollars but he's making enough money to have some fun little racehorses and that year he wanted to buy a couple or i was going to put together a couple little partnerships and anyways i'm down there looking in in running me they were down in the bottom in like the one through six barns and like this like undraft i mean it's easy to say now because i've there's been other ones that i thought looked the exact same that were couldn't run out of their own shadow but he just he wasn't that big of a horse but he just reminded me of like the and I said it at the time, like the, the horse version of Wes Welker is like the dude looked like he would run over top of anyone else, not in like a wild way, but just like, a, he just like, man, he was like a little Panther, but he wasn't very big and he was by Purim and, but he came off an awesome farm running me. And I was just like, he was in book like early, like earlier in the sale. And I'm like, I'm like, no one else is gonna, the reason I liked them. I was like, I was like, like no one else is going to fall in love with this horse, but I already had, I was like, I'm just buying them. And so anyways, I go up there and I, I bought them for 50 grand. And it's the only time in my life, like my dream at a sale, especially then was like, you just sign the ticket and you just sit there and wait, like 
two minutes for someone to come like tap you on the shoulder and be like, Oh my God, I forgot to bid on that one. Or I was on the phone. Like I'll give you two grand for the ticket. And I'd be like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> and, and a lady came up to me, like they called me like the gone to the sales office. See, you bought the horse. And she offered me like 5,000 profit for the ticket. And I told Welker, I was like, I was like, man, I got you this. Like, this is your horse. Like I'm making you buy this one. And I was like, I just can't, I can't do it. Like, I was like, it was the only time in my life I think I've ever turned down a profit for a ticket and, uh, God bless. Thank God I didn't do it. And, uh, yeah. So anyways, he, uh, he owned them a hundred percent himself and, uh, he ran first time out at Keeneland. He was, he was, Wesley had another one in the race. I'm blanking on who it was. But, so he was like five to one Julio, Julio Garcia on him and just romped and, uh, Man, he was a cool horse. He was a quirky horse, but he's he still is. I was actually at the the little crawfish boil at the Listers on Saturday, and he was he was running around in the in the paddock right next to us. It was awesome. So he's retired there, but but he took us places that one horse will take you a place that you wouldn't get in a lifetime of knowing people. It's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I just I just looked at his his past performances. He ran like forty one times. Maybe more than that, because yeah. if, you, if you count, if you count, maybe my past performances aren't showing uh, the Ascot runs. But yeah, I mean that's that's unbelievable. Yeah, he ran three times over there, and then I mean, yeah, he won first time out Keeneland April, and he won a race every year for like I want to say six or seven years in a row. Yeah, he was so cool, and I remember I, I used to try to I couldn't figure out what he wanted to do. I used to think that like five and five and a half were too sharp. Short form, yeah. It, but then he he stuffed me in a locker a couple times when I did that. Yeah, oh, his opening day at Del Mar, we all went out there because so we got it. It was like the greatest. That's like the greatest race to have the to to have a stake entry in is the Oceanside opening day. You know, because then you get a table, you get a guaranteed table in the director's room and stuff, and and. uh and he he ran in that and he was favored and i think joel rosario rode him and he won like five on the card and he just got in a jackpot the whole way around there whole way around there and finished third or fourth or something like that we were all bummed out but uh yeah, yeah i kind of thought he i always thought he wanted to go a mile too but a stiff six at Ascot. that was that was that was what he wanted to do that was the perfect the perfect the perfect distance for him how did the name conversation go? Did, did, did was it your idea? Or did, did was it Wes's idea? Or how did you guys how did you guys decide to name it undrafted? For yeah, people that don't know, Wes I'll, wasn't drafted, right? So it's a no, great he story. was un, he was undrafted, and I'll tell you, <laughs> this will probably bring up an old wound, but I I got to go back and look, but I swear I want to say he did like a Twitter contest or like a social media Facebook contest, you know. And I'm not I'm not I'm not very big on social media, but so he did like a, Hey, I just bought this horse. Help me name it. You know, if you, if I pick your name, whatever, I'll give you a autograph football or something like that. And, uh, and anyway, so he, so he does some little contest and I'm like, Hey man, we need to name this guy. Like he's going to run at Keeneland. Like we got to have a name for him. And he was like, all right, name him, whatever it was. And whatever the name was that he picked from the contest, like it might as well have been affirmed because it was already taken or, you know, it was reserved or something so we couldn't name it i was like dude like we're entering him in three days we got to have a name it's like that one's not it he's like well i already told the guy that he won the contest and i'm like i'm like well okay well you want to tell the jockey club the and so then i think another one of the names was was 
undrafted or he had a couple other options or whatever. And I was just like, dude, undrafted is freaking the greatest name ever. Like name him undrafted. So I just submitted it and we got it. And then uh, I think there was a little bit of a stink because the guy that named him undrafted didn't, I don't know. <laughs> That's probably. <laughs> what uh, about, uh, what about Hootenanny? What's the story uh, with, with Hootenanny? How did you find that one? Uh, <laughs> how many people listen to this? <laughs> I mean, our network had 1.2 million downloads last year. So, <laughs> all right, yeah, Hoot Nanny was a he was a good one. like, so he was the first first uh, crop of quality road. <laughs> Archie's gonna kill me for this, but I don't care. Uh, so he was first crop of quality road. You know, I had a but like I didn't have a ton of money to spend on these things, and in the um. And the ice wine guys had just gotten in, you know, the year before with like No Nay Never and some horses like that with um, with Wesley, the Antonacci's and Dave Reed, great guys. And so I didn't really know him that well, but Wesley was buying some horses for him. And so we kind of thought we had like a, you know, like a little standing order of, you know, we'll buy a handful. I'm just going to buy a handful of 40 granders to 150 granders or, you know, whatever. And so we had some success doing that or whatever. And anyways, long story short, so. I'm sitting there looking through the thing and it was book one. And I go to Archie's consignment, St. George, because they, they bought him as a foal off of uh, the Nagels, good friends, David Nagel and Deanne Nagel and um, who bred him. So they bought him as a foal. And so I go up to Archie's consignment and I'm, I'm usually like lurking kind of like, I don't like to fill out cards and stuff. And I'll, sometimes I'll just sit there and look at the horses and not even pull them out. And anyway, so I see this horse go in and he was a little bit soft in his back. Like, like he's not sway back, but he was a little soft in his back, which I actually don't mind at all. Like I actually, a lot of horses are really fast that are sway backs. And, and, you know, he just kind of looked like that. He was out of a Hennessy mare and Hennessy was a little soft in his back. And honestly, quality roads a little long. And so like, to me, it kind of made sense that he looked like that, but it's something that you can say, Hey, the horse is sway back or soft back. And I don't like him. Okay, next, because there's so many nice horses, like, we'll move on. And, you know, we're in book one or two or whatever. I think it was book two because it was when they had the one-day book one. Anyways, so I go up to Archie, and I never do this, but I'm like, I'm like, oh, just show me what I need to see. Normally, I'll just fill out a card, and I don't ask somebody to fill out the card for me. So Archie fills out the card for me, and he's got seven or eight. He's got eight horses in his consignment, and he puts seven of them on there. So I look at every horse in his, in his consignment except the quality road out of Moore Hennessy, but I'd already seen him. And so I was like, okay, thanks, man. So I'm like, now I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, well, heck, they don't even, he owns the horse and they don't even like him that much. So they must not have that high expectations for him. (laughs) So then I'm in the back ring like the next day and I'm kind of watching them go around there. I was like, I loved Quality Road. I love that family. And, you know, he had a beautiful shoulder, everything about him other than he was just a little bit of a soft back, but he's athletic, son of a gun. And so it's like, man, they don't have that high expectations. And they had a couple sexy horses in their consignment that year. And I was like, he might fall through the cracks. I'm not even going to go talk to him. I was sitting there and I think I bid once and he made 60 grand right on the, right on the reserve. I could tell there was no live money. And then I bought him. It's like, I'm going to go back and offer him five grand less, but I, I, I won't get cute. I'll just buy him right there. And uh, anyway, so then I went into the bar afterwards and Ken Dunworth, my good buddy was, he was in on the partnership, I think, that that owned him as a foal with Archie and them. And uh, and he's like, who'd you buy that for? I was like, I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out at the end of the sale. And he's like, I'd love a, I'll, I'll, I'll take a leg of him. So anyway, so he 
he stayed in for he stayed in for a leg of them and uh and then and then they sold out before ask it but it was good for everybody it was good for everybody like he was fun yeah no he was he was really good you mentioned no nay never you were involved with with him as well right yeah um yep i I mean i signed for him that was more i mean that was wesley that was again that was um that was the first year the ice wine guys um had him and you know he was a horse that wesley just loved and i mean he was a beauty he had a spur in his knee um same thing conte partier had a spur in her knee and uh Scatetti, and it was you know if he didn't have that he was book one timmy hyde bought him as a foal and um you know so that wasn't that wasn't any uh anything anything great on my part but i mean he was a god he was a looked like the statue of david but he had a spur in his knee and um everybody knocked him for it so we were there to put the ice wine guys in and uh Wesley did a great job training him. So. One one of my greatest wins of all time came at at uh, at his at his peril when he ran second in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Bobby's kitten, yeah, yeah. undrafted was third. Yep, yep, yeah, you're right. And Bobby's kitten won it on the outside. Oh man, that was that was a situation where I there was like one of those times where I'm sure you've experienced this before. I brought like twelve non racing people with me to that Breeders' Cup, and the whole time I kept telling him. I don't care how much money you have. We're going to bet it all on Bobby's kitten. We're going to bet it all on Bobby's kitten. We're going to bet it all on Bobby's kitten. I, I mean, no one left there without like, like less yeah. than $5,000. And it was like, so it was just obviously one of those epic moments, you know, especially because of the way the race ran too. It was like, I thought Joel oh, was going to have him on the lead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was a runoff cutting back down the hill and he just came circling. I'm sure you, I'm sure you guys probably for a, a long while thought you had it won. One of them was going to win it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and then there's the, the other apology I have to make to you is I, I brought my future bad luck, uh, future wager, bad luck upon you. Um, I had uh, not this Mastery? time. Were you yeah, there? Yeah. I was, I was sitting, I remember I was in <laughs> Percy's bar at Keeneland and uh, Jake, Jake was in there and he goes, he was like, Hey man, cause I had told him like two weeks before that, I was like, man, we got this Baffert thinks this candy ride is a, is a, whatever, a monster. And he was like, man, I got my buddy out in, in, uh, in Vegas. It was during the October meet. And he was like, I'm going to make a bet. He came over and like verified with me that he was still doing good. I was like, yeah, he's going to, he's actually going to debut in like, you know, a week or two weeks or something like that. Yeah. And he got on him. So you must have we, been in the same little yeah, group. Yeah, no, there. we bet him. We bet him the morning of 150 to one. I think we got. Yeah. I, I think it was before he debuted. Yeah. Um, and I, I was actually in Keeneland. I was at Keeneland. We were in the green room, and I called my friend who was in Vegas. It's not 10 years ago, but the FBI can come get me for for doing that over the phone. Yeah. Um, and I called, and he he went and he went and bet it for us. And then I and then the year before I did it, not this time. I had not this time. Uh, oh, know? and yeah. so well, you were I've, on- Two I good stopped. ones. Yeah, I stopped. I'm not doing it anymore. I feel too. Well, I hope. I hope. I hope mastery <laughs> follows in not this time's stud uh, footsteps. At least when are his, are his babies now, or is he going to have yeah, two year olds? He's got two year olds this year. Yep. yep. Awesome. Did you buy yeah, any? So I bought. Um, yeah, I think I bought five of his yearlings last year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, two, two fancy or expensive colts for uh, for Everett, and then. Bought a couple of fillies and another, or got, and then bought three other fillies. Selling, selling one, and 
bought a couple to race. So fingers crossed. Um, Conti Partiro. Is that your only asket winner that you own? Uh, um, that I owned. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only one that we've, we've run second in the queen Mary and we've hit the board a couple of times in the queen Mary, but the only, the only winner is Conte Partiro that I've owned. Yep. What, uh, it, was, what is- it, was, it was worth it. Oh, that was awesome, man. That was, uh, I remember, um, she was like a little bit of a nice price too. I think like six to one or something. I, I no, she was like, more? we got her at 25 to one. Was it that much? I think she was like 16 to one in American pools. Yeah. yeah we all okay, better maybe. at 25 to one. Oh my goodness. Did you, you guys liked her or yeah, did oh, you, yeah, yeah. you thought you thought she was going to run well? Yeah. She'd worked with undrafted like the week before she left. She came flying and that soaring softly was fourth, but, um, no, she had worked like a monster at Keeneland, the two works before we sent her over there. And he was like, she's ready. And then I loved, we got, we got Jamie Spencer who rides the straight mile course there better than anybody. I was like, Wesley, man, we don't, I know we'd normally ride American jockeys, which are great coming out of the gate and stuff, but this is going to be like a, take a sit in a dragon. We need the guy that can do it. And, uh, we're not getting Ryan Moore, So let's get Jamie Spencer to follow Ryan Moore. And it worked out perfectly. How many people did you have with you? That's, that was, that's a big group of, of, uh, that you have there, right? On that yeah, list? we had a big group that year we had, a, cause I think I can't remember I'm, the years run together, but we had the favorite the day before she, she went on the Wednesday and on the Tuesday we had the favorite for either the Windsor castle or the, I think we had the favorite for the Windsor castle or the, was that chili? Was um, that the chili horse? Yeah, no, that was, that would have been, um, no, cause Chili's just a four-year-old. Okay. She'd have been a six-year-old. I'm oh, is the one with the N, the, uh, uh, Nooka sound. It might've been yeah. Nooka sound. Yeah. I think it was Nooka sound actually. Anyway. So we were like all the, all the fans, they were a little dejected after we didn't win <laughs> after we didn't win, uh, you know, on the, on Tuesday and, oh, I'd have come all the way to London. And then we, then we spring that one and it was, holy cow. We How many the place uh, down? Oh, I can only imagine with the, the car park. Huh? I've, I've always yeah. heard the car park afterwards. Yeah, the car park was fun. And we went for a little uh, Noor Jahan, a little Indian food afterwards to celebrate. It was uh, it was good. It was good fun. How many um, how many uh, Royal Ascot trips have you made? Um, I've been at least since Gypsy Robin ran in like Judy the Beauty year. So that would have been. She ended up scratching. I mean, I've made, I'd say 11 in a row until last year, 10 or 11. Are you, uh, are you, are you back at it this year or, or is your, uh, let me, yeah, I'm there. I've, always, I've, I've never got to go. I've always wanted to. Oh, dude, you gotta go. I just don't know if that hat's going to fit on my hair. Nah, it will. It will. <laughs> I'll just put like, like put a couple of bobby pins in it or something like that and clip it down like the, the, the <laughs> ladies do for their. Yeah. fascinators i don't know how I'm man looking, you got I, go, go, I don't know how i'm gonna look in tails i'll figure it out though i, no, I want to go look, everybody looks just as silly don't worry you know i almost i was i looked at a calendar actually today and i was like when is it and then i looked to see that like 14th through the 19th it's not it's not gonna be fully like the full meal deal and i'm i feel like if i for my first time i want to go i want the full meal deal. yeah you want the full monty that's i don't want to go but you also just, got you got to go when 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 her majesty's there it just makes it so so cool oh because i'm guessing she won't be there this year i would say she'll probably be there this year i don't know 
Have you know, ever she bet? Hasn't, she hasn't. She hasn't called me in a couple of months. <laughs> Have you ever bet on what uh, what she's wearing? No, no. And I'm all for betting on just about anything, but but the color of the hat doesn't uh, doesn't get me. No, oh, that's too bad. I'll bet on uh, anything else though. You did uh you did some sales work in Ireland, right? Or were or for golf sales, but you did it. You were the representative here. Yeah, I was the American rep for the for golf's. Yeah, the Irish based uh sales company yeah for probably five or six years it was fun i always went over to european sales because like when i first went out on my own i was like all right i could be at this sale and you know the new york bread sale in saratoga and there's 75 agents that have more experience and more past performances than me that are there so why would they let me buy them a horse but if i'm over in europe doing something a little different maybe i'd uh maybe i'd have a chance to you know stick out and be the only one over there. So I would always go to the, I would always go to the European sales. And usually it was only, it was only Wesley and then Everett. We bought a few with Everett and Wesley. It was, that was, that was as big as it got, but, uh, but it was great relationships made. And I just, I love, I love going over all those sales. Yeah. And it seems like, and maybe I'm a little bit later to the party and, and you were, you've been more aware of this, but it seems like, you know, with, with Chad and, and Mike Ryan now going to Tattersall's a lot, like it seems like there's, I'm feeling like I'm seeing more horses that are bought from sales over there than we used to see. Oh, for sure. Like when, not that I was the first one to go, I was far from it. And there was plenty of Americans that were over there, but it's really gained a lot of popularity here in the last, you know, five, six, seven years, just with our turf program and the stakes, the, the prize money for our turf races here. And you'd always see kind of you know what they might consider their B level European horses coming over and winning a lot of our big grass stakes. And so just bringing over some new blood, you know, couldn't hurt. And, uh, you know, obviously Mike Ryan and Chad and Liz buying aunt Pearl. And I mean, a lot of people have had a lot of success. It just, it just goes to show you that you got to go everywhere. There's good horses everywhere and they can compete on a global stage. Just like, just like the Americans can compete on a, on a global stage and why we have great success at Royal Ascot and David Redvers can come over and buy, you know, roaring lions for a hundred thousand dollars and win the biggest races in Europe. And we can buy some of their best horses and win the biggest races in America. It's just a, it's a two way street and the more, more open and global it is, the better for everybody. So as a, as a bloodstock, guy bloodstock you know you know your background or whatever how impressive is a horse like misharif that we saw run this weekend where like yeah, you know it's pretty insane <laughs> right you know you win those I mean, to be able two to huge do, races yeah like one on the sand and and those are those were no slouch fields and uh to do it the way he did it i mean obviously john gosden's a master so uh but yeah super impressive i couldn't believe the price he was the other day but it was a it was a good field he ran against, but really really impressive animal. No, I, I was I those was, good uh, ones are just different. Right, right. You know, and I, and it's it's funny. Like, there's a lot of really good horses that we've seen as of late that I wish I we could have seen run on multiple surfaces. Right. I mean, I, I wish we would have had an opportunity to see American Pharaoh run on the turf. Yeah. Um, I thought that oh, would have been, he would have. I think he would have been. He might have been even more dominant on the grass. Yeah, he's just so efficient. You know. Yeah. And, and, yeah, he uh, was just an athlete. Athlete, he would have won on anything. Do you think 
is it possible that uh, we could ever go over to a you know get a uh, you know a UK an Irish bred horse, um, just from Europe, and bring them here and they be competitive on the dirt, or do you just feel like all of them are just going to always be turf types? I mean, it's pretty dangerous saying that all of them. Uh, yeah, why, uh, I don't see why not. Some of them could. Um, you know, looking into, I mean, why couldn't a, why couldn't a Caravaggio produce dirt horses or, you know, um, you know, Nona never, Nona never's produced a few decent dirt horses. And like, I'd, I'd say they'd be more inclined to be better. I'd be going over there probably looking to buy them for the grass, but I wouldn't be afraid to, you know, pull a Mishraf and try them. Cause I mean, they just breed, they breed class. I mean, at the top level, like whether it's America or Europe, I mean, what you're looking for is wanting to get the distance, the classic distance and just having some class. And then, you know, a really, a really, really classy one will probably do it on either surface, but yeah, I mean, no, but you're not going over there trying to buy like the next Derby horse. I don't right. think, but would it completely shock me if, if somebody did it? No. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I just always, I find it so interesting that like, I mean, obviously we're, they're, they're bred to run on the dirt here and they're bred to run on the grass there, but I've always found it interesting how it, it's few and far between how they, how those kind of can go two different ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they just, I mean, it, it takes a different animal. Um, really. I mean, just mechanically running on the grass and running on the dirt and the, and is different. And the, the way the races, the biggest thing I think, or a big thing is the way the races are run, like the race shapes of them where on the grass, it's obviously a little more sit, 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 accelerate. Whereas the dirt, you better be a strong, powerful run hard from the opening bell and then just have the endurance to be able to keep going, which is not usually how, how grass races are run. It's more that quick turn of foot, um, you know, action, um, but that's why that that is why it makes it so impressive that like the really really good ones that could win on either surface are just just that much better than everybody else really. Right now, um, a lot of your success came with yearlings. Did you did you ever really get involved in buying at two year old sales? I know you sold at two year old sales, but did you ever get involved in buying at two year old sales? Yeah, I buy a handful every year um, at the two year old sales, but I would definitely focus on the yearlings. I just like to. I always thought that, you know, like I also never had the budget to be able to like pay, like when you get to, you get to see another card of the two-year-old sales, but to see that card, you got to pay, pay more for it when it's a good card. Um, and I always just like to, I felt like I had better, I felt like I had a better chance of finding the 50 grander that was going to be a star as a yearling than as a two-year-old. And then you get it in your own program and you can control more of it. Like, so the more you can control the better off you are and the less unknowns there are. And, uh, I always just had better luck with it. Um, but it was half just because I had, you know, I had to had budgetary constraints and half because at the beginning, the main guy that was giving me a shot to just buy horses was Wesley. And then, you know, we'd send them to him to, to break. And a big part of his program is letting him actually break them and stuff like that. So I always thought the, quicker I could get them and then turn them out and let him get his hands on them. 
the better chance we would have for success. Yeah. So like, I think that's an interesting point that some people might know is, is that like these yearlings, when you, when you buy a yearling, they typically go to place a, which is where they get broken. And then they go to place B, which is where they actually get trained for the racetrack. But you're saying with Wesley, it's just a one-stop shop. Yeah, correct. I mean, some people would, some people would break them elsewhere and then have, and then send them to West, send them to him to train. But, and there's other, like, he's not the only trainer that does that. There's plenty of other trainers that, that do that, but not, not a lot of the, you know, the, you know, like big, big, big guys, but you know, in a, in a big reason why like a guy like Todd and Steve Asmussen, they've had success, especially with their two-year-olds is because, you know, they've got like Todd's dad breaks all like a lot of the horses that he gets and same with Steve's family. Um, so they've got that relationship already where there's a lot of, there's a lot of two-year-old guys in Ocala, for example, that like they want to come along nice and slow because they don't want to be the guy that sent a horse to the trainer at the track. And the trainer calls back, you know, a week later, Oh, they sent me this horse was already busted up. You know, they kind of want to baby him along a little bit. Um, whereas, Wesley doesn't have to answer to that or the guys that break them themselves don't have to answer to that, but it's also a lot of, a lot of work. And, um, you know, a lot of them just don't have the manpower and the time to be able to do it. But, you know, a guy like that's, I think that's a big reason why Todd and Steve have a lot of success with horses coming from off their family's farms. Cause you know, that's like one less layer of communication and stuff that you gotta, you gotta deal with knowing Wesley as well as you do, are you, are you shocked that the, the, that this is going to probably be, I mean, obviously fingers crossed, everything goes well with like the King going to be his first derby starter. Yeah. Uh, he's had one in there before, but he didn't run. Um, yeah, I mean, no, it's just a, got the right horse, you know? I mean, he's, he's, I'm not like, I, I think he's fully capable of training a horse to, to run a mile and a quarter, but he's obviously got his niche. And at times that can be something that's like not a hindrance, but like the people that are sending him horses are going to send him horses. They think are like his type of horses, which is great. Like it's a great niche to have being one of the best two-year-old trainers and winning at Ascot and winning breeders cup races. It's not, it's not a bad uh, corner to be pigeonholed into, but, um, but they're probably not sending them their big scopey two turn looking Colts that RNA at the sales. When they RNA one at the sales, they're going to send them the fast looking two year old or the smaller one or, or what have you. So, so no, I mean, I'm not surprised. I, yeah. I probably would have thought he would have had one before now, but he did. Pablo Del Monte got in the race, but he scratched him because he was in the 20 hole when he was on the A's. But, um, it ain't an easy race. To, <laughs> it ain't an easy race to get into, let alone win. No, no, not at all. Um, and then, you know, kind of, as we start to wrap up here, one of the questions I always ask people, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a trickier question because you're actually working, you're, you're in a position or starting a position where you, you whatever, some of these ideas you might have, you, you might actually be able to apply them. But, you know, I, look, I, I love our game and I, I think our game is, is I'm not one of those, oh, our games in trouble types, but I do think that there's always opportunity to improve, and, and so I, I like to try to get other ideas from different people about what their focus is on trying to improve it. What ideas or initiatives or, or focuses do they feel like the industry should have, or maybe some things that we're maybe missing, um, or just some kind of off the wall, 
probably couldn't even work idea. Like one of mine is, I think, I don't understand why we don't give free drinks. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a legal thing. Cause like you can't give free drinks at like at casinos in certain States and stuff. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, why don't we, why doesn't everybody get a free program when they walk in the door, which you will right. at Keeneland this year. You will. Oh, look at that. As part of the, as part, that wasn't a me thing, but, like, <laughs> but I'm all for <clears throat> all of those um, outside ideas of whether it's free data or reduced price data or some sort of free data or yeah, like just serving our customer. I mean, we, we, we do have a little bit of a problem of like, forgetting about our customer a lot and and not just not we like Keeneland, just the horse business in general. And like, and there's multiple customers. Like you have your core customer of your horsemen and your trainers and your owners that are bringing horses around at your racetrack. You got your customer of like the, the gambler that is that you need to take care of to make them want to bet on your product to, you know, the family that you're trying to create the next generation of fans that make it, you know, so at, at the track and like doing things to, to help them, um, to, you know, the local breeder to the sales. Like, I mean, so there's tons of different like little areas of, of customer bases and we just need to be able to figure out how to give them what they want. And the beauty of, or what I'm really excited about at Keeneland, like I was saying, like, is just being in a position. I mean, hopefully we will make, some sort of difference or be able to do something. But with Keeneland, you've got this great tradition and history and foundation, but like, it's also a place that is in a position where we can be innovative and we can afford to, to take chances and make mistakes because, you know, we're not going to well, like touch wood. Like, it's not like we're like, if we do something, it's not going to, we're not going to go out of business next week because we, we messed up that idea or we tried something new. Um, so we're really in a position where I think we're able to to listen to a lot of these ideas and and try them out and you know kind of be a little bit of a a, a a testing spot for you know the the business at whole and hopefully be able to incorporate some and then have a little best practices oh that one didn't work and this one does work and you know we can stick our neck out there a little bit more than maybe some other people are able to so it's exciting in that in that regard and. You know, I've already had some meetings with some people that have some great ideas and we'll bounce them up the right, you know, avenues and see if we can implement them. And, but always willing to, or wanting to listen to, you know, smart people like yourselves. Well, we got, we got a good bet idea. We, we talked to Jim about it prior to COVID and we were, we were getting there and then obviously COVID happened. So we got pushed back. So I'll, I'll save that for you for another time, but we do have a good fun bet idea. The, the other thing is you know, that I wanted to ask you about is, is I, well, first of all, I love the Hill. Yeah. I think the Hill is a great opportunity for young people to, 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 to kind of not fully get thrown into the fire, but touch racing and like feel racing and, 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 and have that fun experience. I, I think the Hill is a, is a great transition for, uh, for, for people that will go to the Hill three or four times, two or three times this spring, some 18, 19, 20, 22 year olds, and they will come back when they get older and they'll be customers. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that's a great place. And, and, and before I fully hand it over to you to comment on the Hill, but like, I also think it's interesting your experience as someone who came from racing, 
but then went to UK and was involved with a bunch of people that might not know about racing. You kind of had to be the ringleader, I would imagine, in those days to go to the racetrack. People were asking you all the questions. Well, what do I do about this? Or what about that? Or what's this mean? Um, is that kind of what your college career was like? Yeah, we going used to go, we would have tailgates every single Friday and Saturday. And we, we would park in that, what they call like the guardhouse. Like right when you pull in the main front gate on the right, there was like surrounded by stone walls. Um, and then on the left, like going into the, like at the quarter pole, like those two, now it's one of them's employee parking. And, but we didn't have the Hill when I was in college. And so we would go set up tailgates there. I mean, every weekend. And it was just, some people wouldn't come into the races and some would, but who cares? But like, we made a lot of fans that way. And, um, yeah, the Hill was a great idea, um, that they set up however many years ago. Unfortunately, we can't do it this year. They tried everything in their power to, to have it. And, um, couldn't get it uh couldn't get it approved for whatever for whatever reason which is it's understandable but it'll be back it'll be back in the fall hopefully and it'll definitely be back next spring hopefully because um yeah i'm with you it's a great place to just have fun for those younger people and whoever and just at least it, it gets them there and immersed in it a little bit and you never know when they'll make the walk down or the transition yeah. down and it's just a different atmosphere to go enjoy the races i mean everybody has fun doing different things so yeah the parking lot i love the parking lot tailgating too that you mentioned i mean obviously it's it's kind of spread a little bit more to like you know closer to the sales pavilion now but it's fun man walking up down there and seeing people throwing uh cornhole and carrying on and um yeah that's what it's all about i mean the whole it's it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun for us in the business. It's supposed to be fun for us racing the horses, training them. It is a business, but it's like, we have to remember it's an entertainment business and we want everybody there. It's supposed to be fun and enjoying like this awesome animal in competition and in a fun environment. And that's what Keeneland tries to provide for everybody. So they, whether whether it's you sitting up in the green room or the people out on the hill, hopefully, hopefully everybody's finds their little niche and place to have fun out there. Okay, well, I know you got a crazy week. You know, obviously, uh, you know, opening week at at Keeneland and, and your this role. Is the highlight of it, man. Oh, I know you got a lot going on though. But w- one thing I do need from you is I do need uh, for Halloween this year. I want to be a I want to be a green coat. Man, I didn't I didn't even get a green coat yet, but when I get one, you can <laughs> I just want to I want to be a green coat and tell people where they can't go. That's it. Man, that's all I want to do. <laughs> we could probably hire you, man. <laughs> you want to work for a meet and then just keep the jacket, not get the deposit back? Oh, man, I don't know. That that's that job would be stressful to me. Um, yeah, would, those guys, those guys and job. gals, they don't mess around. Yeah. You, you no. know, if if you know, if you got a, people uh, like you trying to take liberties on them, man. <laughs> I remember my first have time. A little bit of rule in the castle. The first time I went to, or uh, one of the first times I went to Keeneland, I had like these, like kind of. They're like they were like slacks, but they kind of were a little bit funkier. And I had to like prove to this woman they weren't jeans. I was like, look, well, they're yeah, not I've, jeans. <laughs> I promise you, I've done every single thing uh, in my thirty years of going there. I've uh, I've done the same thing. Now I got to be a little more, yeah. Careful I can, about it. I can I've, only I've gotten imagine. accused of wearing jeans in the clubhouse. I've made a couple underage bets. Uh, we're we're cleaning it all up now. <laughs> yeah, there you go, kids. Just find your favorite place, break yeah. a bunch of the rules, and then one day you can work. Yeah, there. 
Yeah, correct, correct, correct. Yeah, what I appreciate it. Good luck this week, and I'll see you this weekend at some point. And, yeah, man, uh, look forward to it. I'll pop up and say hello for sure. Awesome. Good luck and, and, and happy opening week. Yeah, brother. Thanks for having me on. No, it was it was our pleasure. We uh, we appreciate you taking the time to share uh, share your story and, and explain uh, some of the ins and outs of of uh, horse ownership and, and and being a bloodstock agent and uh, and your new role. So we we appreciate it. And um, man, I'm fired up. First of all, I'm excited about being a green coat for Halloween. I've always wanted to do that. Um, I'm just gonna basically stand around, go to a party, stand around, and just tell people where they can't go. Nope, you can't go there. Your outfit. Nope, you need a tie, and and just see how. It, and then ask people where they're going. Um, maybe I'll have a clipboard. Uh, maybe I'll have a roll of those stickers that they give you at Keeneland to let you know that you're allowed to go into a room. You know, whatever it takes. Uh, you know, we didn't really get to celebrate Halloween last year, so this year I'll I'll do it and I'll be a green coat. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, Look, uh, I had a pretty long intro, so uh, remind everyone about Keeneland. Holler at Jim Goodman for the uh, grade one gamble. And um, what else is there? What else is there? Uh, Fox will be will be popping this weekend. I won't be, I don't think. Um, San Anita Derby. Uh, Wood Memorial, of course. Um, and then, you know, obviously all the stuff that's going on at, at, uh, at Keeneland. It's going to be fun, man. It, it's, it feels like that time of year where things just start kind of picking up. It's like you're excited one weekend about something racing and you don't have to wait like another three weeks for something cool to happen. It's like every weekend now something great is happening and racing. And uh, it feels like that happens all the way up into the Derby. And then it you have that one little kind of lull and then it picks back up with Preakness and then it's like full steam ahead all the way through Saratoga into the Breeders' Cup. I am fired up. Um, I'm going to thank everyone. Uh, and I, I have an option of looking at a cheat sheet and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to make it work. PTF, love you. Drew, uh, uh, the new addition to the team, uh, Jenna Browning. So uh, helping us out with uh, with some things. Um Naomi talk racing to me, Acacia in the ring pedigree podcast, Maddie ice, the Matt Bernier show, Spencer, Red Bull rewind, uh, ba- uh, Billy and Michelle, um, owner's box, Maggie off track, <sighs> Nick luck. I think that's it. I don't know. There's probably somebody. Else. Is there someone else? Okay, I am going to look just to make sure because I don't, you know, that'd be, I don't want to be mean. I don't want people to get mad at me. I think I got everybody. Let's see. Let's Google. Who else is there? Oh, you know, I don't ever think Tyler and Podrick. I'll thank them too. They help us do things. Uh Oh, Exacta Box. Que paso? Exacta Box, the, uh, our, our, our first Spanish, uh, situation. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. I haven't. I, I listened to part of it, um, but I don't speak Spanish that well, so I struggled. But um, Ramon Dominguez and, and Jose Francisco Rivera. So uh, if you haven't checked that out and you speak Spanish or if you want to learn how to do Spanish, you don't need, uh, what's that thing called, Rosetta Stone? Exacta Box. It's all you need. Thanks for hanging out. Good luck at Keeneland. Good luck in the Wood Memorial. Good luck in the San Anita Derby. And good luck to pass the champagne in the Ashland. I'll see you guys next week. Good luck. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. 
I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them and talk up their body. Another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game.